0: I not even sleep without
1: listening to the
0: Roadman podcast. <laughs> the big question is this How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman podcast. Welcome back to the Roadman Podcast. It's Wednesday, so that means one thing. It's our full, long-form version of the Roadman Podcast. And I'm super excited this week because I'm chatting with multiple Irish national champion, world tour trick, Segafredo rider, Ryan Mullen. And it's a fascinating chat with Ryan where we talk time trial and ryan is an absolute specialist in the area so he deep dives into how we can get more aerodynamic and knock some time off those splits but we talk equipment we talk diet we talk the world tour irish national championships and we even go on a weird tangent about where ryan was conceived yes i shit you not Uh, Really fun episode. Before I dive into this episode, just a couple of housekeeping things. If you haven't already noticed, I'm coming to you every weekday now with the Roadman Podcast. I've decided to bring the shorter form Roadman Bites Podcasts. These are bite-sized podcasts, five to 10 minutes on every day that we don't have this long-form one. So that's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. The idea of those is to give you one tangible tip each episode that you can take and you can run with and that's based on my experience of attending you know personal development productivity type seminars where you take like 10 a4 pages full of notes over a weekend and then you get back on monday and you kind of look at the pad and go oh damn where do i start took a lot of notes there's a lot of good stuff in here and it's overwhelm so I wanted to avoid the podcast becoming overwhelm and each one of those Roadman Bites podcasts I'm giving you one small tangible thing that you can go off and you can implement it into your own training into your own life so really hope you're enjoying those bleeding my heart and soul into them folks like I always do like I always do other big announcements I need to make is about our Patreon accounts. Now, our Patreon account, it's, there's a link in the description down below. You head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. The Patreon account is how you tip your hat and say thanks for this podcast. I'm enjoying listening to it. I can see the stats, folks. There's a lot more of you listening than there is subscribing on Patreon. Uh, In all seriousness, if you can't afford to subscribe to the Patreon, no hassle at all. You continue listening absolutely cost-free to you. But if you're listening to this and you can't afford to subscribe to the Patreon... Do vote with your wallet because it's a vote to say, I like this podcast. I want to keep it around. It's the cost of buying me a coffee once a month, buy me a pint of beer once a month. Just say, you know what, Anthony, thanks for the podcast. You're connecting me up with some good guests. Now all of a sudden, your romance bites. You're bringing me four or five times the value. Head on over to patreon.com and support the podcast. It might seem like a small little gesture for you, an inconsequential gesture almost for some of you, but I honestly can tell you it's not that from my end it's vindication that i'm going the right direction with the podcast and it's also the lifeblood that keeps this alive so please head on over there okay folks we've pushed it off enough off. i'm gonna head on in to this intimate and i use that word very pointedly and you'll see why intimate chat with all around tt powerhouse mr ryan Mullen. Okay, Ryan Mullen, welcome to the Roadman Podcast.
1: Cheers! Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Yeah, looking forward to chatting, Ryan. Uh, you're up in Andorra at the moment.
1: Yeah, just trying to get some bit of altitude training at the moment to try and fill the void of no racing. So yeah, it's going well. I did two weeks there in June, and yeah, another two weeks now. So What's, Andorra-
0: What's Andorra like?
1: If you're anything more than seventy-five kilos, it's actually a nightmare to be honest uh, yeah it's just there's, just, there's no flat it, and if you do want to go flat you've got to do about six hours of a ride so you just have to make peace with the fact that you're going to do at least 3,000 metres of climbing in a three or four hour ride
0: yeah I so see you're trying a bit with uh, Willie Smith we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago
1: yeah I did a few rides with him there back in June yeah he's a, he's, a, he's a funny guy I can't repeat some of the things he says
0: fucking repeat him am bored I'm sticking him under the bus
1: <laughs> no, I can't. I actually can't. I'll get him arrested. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Ryan, I suppose we're, we're going to jump around the place in this, uh, all over the place for this chat. But I want to go back to track because it's something that's going to, on my mind a bit at the moment. A lot of people don't know, you actually had a decent track background uh, with Ireland. where you were fourth in a World Cup out in Cali, if I remember?
1: Yeah, that, that was the world in Cali, yeah. The world Pursuit champs in twenty. 20- 14 it was, yeah, that was my first track world. Um, yeah, I got into track, basically, uh, to kind of fund myself for the road when I was another 23. It's basically, I'm pretty good at timed events, and uh, the criteria to qualify for the lowest level of funding when I was 18 was to go faster than like 4.26 or 4.25 in the IP. Um, so I did that and take that off and I just went through the track motions, to basically fund my road career when I was living in Belgium with Post, the Ampost, Sean Kelly team. Um, and obviously I did, I did, I did enjoy it. Like I grew up doing it, um, like from the age of like 14, 15 at the Manchester Track League. So there was always a bit of track in me and did a few of the revolutions, uh, in Manchester and London. Um, yeah, it was good. It was like a, more of a gateway really to me. Um, coming onto the road full-time, though.
0: Would you be tempted to have a crack off the world air record or what do you make of all the guys having a shot off that?
1: Yeah, I would love to do the air record. I mean, physiologically and aerodynamically, it is possible. Like That's like an educated guess. That's not a, an egotistical guess. It is educated. and Yeah, one day I would like to give it a crack, provided it doesn't go to something ridiculous like 57Ks an hour. But, uh, yeah, physiologically, I'm capable of doing it. Um, it's just about finding the right time and the right location on the right day with the right air pressure. There's a lot of variables, but it is something that I am very interested in doing at some point.
0: Have you looked at power files from Carpen Arts and Wiggins and stuff like that?
1: Um, I haven't looked at any files now because, like arts is, by all respects, a bit of a hobbit on the bike, so it doesn't. Whatever he can do <laughs> doesn't relate anything anywhere close to what I have to do. Um, yeah obviously he's talented and it takes a great athlete to actually do 55 k's an hour for, um or 55 kilometers in an hour um but yeah we're just two very different riders so whatever he can do i mean i'll push 50 watts more mm-hmm. because i'm pretty much double the size so um but yeah probably looking at around four thirty, four forty for an hour at altitude for me to try and get it i'd say
0: and what's that like a do you experience much of a drop-off in your power from, say, riding up the side of a mountain and or in the saddle, out of the saddle versus going to a pursuit position or a TT position?
1: Because um, over the years, like, over a long effort, I'm way more comfortable on a TT bike. You're talking like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I can do more power on my TT bike than I can on my road bike for some reason. But when it comes to the short stuff, like the five minutes, then you can kind of just hack away um, up the side of a hill or whatever. But, yeah, the longest stuff, I've always been better, always on the TT bike. Like anything over 20 minutes, I can probably do like the same watts. And then once it gets to an hour, I'm way more on the TT bike.
0: Like, I'm obviously a few years older than you. And I remember when you were coming into kind of breaking through, you seeing your name was starting to get talked about, at junior and stuff. And, but I remember always thinking you were someone who struck me as you loved the kind of science of the TT. Like, you were geeking out on position and shit from when you were a kid.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was a junior, like, it, that was like 2012 time. And power meters back then, they weren't as common as they are now. And I didn't even have a heart rate strap until I was 18. And that's when I was in Sigma, when I actually first got my first SRM. But I, I just, I, I wouldn't say I, I geeked out on the position when I was a junior, but I just worked on a track with Brian Nugent um, when I was doing the World Cups. in one day just we put a set of bars on and I just like slotted straight in and since that day my position's not changed one millimeter. Um, we just like one session, we did like a 4K effort and then with the old setup and then we did another 4K effort, same power but I was going like a second or two lap, one or two seconds per lap faster. We're just changing the bars and the way my body like folded in and we thought, you know what, that, that's good enough, that'll do and it's just, uh, it's just stayed that way ever since. And I think um, I probably was one of the first guys to just be really arrow um, early doors in my career. Like I was probably more arrow than a lot of people, and that kind of snuck me a few little results here and there. I was under the radar.
0: And I always wondered this: Is it much of a frustration because you grow up and you know you're you're basically able to handpick what bars you want at uh, under eighteen, and then you get to world tour? You know, say Canyon, like i don't know if it's what you think on it but me looking on canyon don't have the best time trial bike in the world and how much of a frustration is that for you when you're looking at someone on a cervello p5 and going fuck i'm giving away 30 seconds before we get started here
1: yeah that is a frustration especially in trade teams like if i was able to like put my ideal bike together i probably actually would be on a track because it is good um but there's not much difference in terms of frames. It all comes down to like the bars, the wheels, the helmet, the skin suit, any position. Um uh, but yeah, it, it can be a little bit frustrating, but obviously there's there's sponsors involved and like at the end of the day, um I'm I'm paid to ride their products, so I can't grumble too much, but like for example, when you miss out on a world medal by eleven seconds <laughs> and then you miss out on the European win by three and a half seconds. And various other close calls then you start to wonder if i just had a different tire i would have won that um but yeah you, i mean you can't it, 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 nobody has the, the most perfect scenario like you look at guys in Ineos, there's all there's something wrong there but they don't have something that they want but so you just go around in circles really so you just kind of have to make you adapt with what you have and i've just come to make these stuff but yeah at times it can be frustrating
0: I guess you're in a pretty good position with Trek now because, like, if you are to buy a bike, the Treks are they're pretty fucking top-end, like, so you're not suffering too much there?
1: No, no, no. We are quite, like, I am quite fortunate. We have pretty good skin suits, good helmets, good bike. Um, the only issue now is just, like, it's just, it's always a little 1% is really you got to chase after, like, if you're allowed to change your bearings and, if you're allowed to change your handlebars, like with permission, of course, obviously. But, so I'm just kind of, have to, you have to like, you don't want to step on any toes, but you've got to like make peace with sometimes. You, you are going to give away five watts.
0: Helmet choice must be a funny one because it's so individualistic. I remember looking at pictures of you, was it? Were you in Baku where you were wearing the Bell uh, javelin helmet? Like that just looked yeah. sweet
1: on you. That was, that's a good memory you got there. Yeah, Baku, yeah. Bell javelin.
0: Yeah, because like, I remember looking at it because I had the same helmet and I was just thinking like, it was like you and the helmet were like fucking one thing. It was a continuous from your back straight into the head.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like helmets are very, very individual, like with body shape and shoulder shape and like shoulder width. Um, so all that comes down to is like, how you happen to like do your own individual error testing and find out what actually is the best? But like I say, like, we're, we're actually quite lucky in track. We have... The Giro Arrowhead, um, but obviously, like, not stick it up Giro. Um, I think has a bit of a deal with them. But uh, that's quite universally quite good. I mean, you could, you, you can definitely have much, much worse. Um, but then like, there are, for different people, you can find and gain 10 watts in a helmet. But I think, on terms of the average, I mean, I can't complain about the Giro. I haven't actually done much, I haven't actually done any helmet testing. Um, but it would, be, it would be interesting to try and find that out.
0: Is there a party you'd love to geek out like those hub watt bike dudes, where you're just floating around the track trying out different shit every day?
1: Yeah, I'd would lo- love to know. Like, well, like, like I say, my position's been the same since 2014. It might have changed a few mil here and there in terms of the saddle position, but it would be nice just to like strip everything down and then try and find something that is maybe five or ten watts faster, or whatever the hub watt bike guys say, or seven to ten watts faster per per gain, or whatever. But um, it would be it would be really interesting. I mean, I was lucky, I was fortunate enough that I just stumbled across something that worked really well for me, and I've just had that position for six years now. So I'm not in a hurry to change it. It works. I've had results with it. So it just all as as time trialing evolves and how cyclists at this level evolve, like basically you have to to stay where you are. You have to be going about on average seven watts to ten watts faster per year to stay where you are. Yeah, that's so if nice. that's positional gains, equipment gains, or training gains, then if that's just the standard.
0: What do you reckon for your average club cyclist that's probably listening to this? Because I know a lot of them, like they're obsessed from watching fucking GCN and they're brainwashed by power to weight. And you're trying to, like, I'm trying to knock it into their heads all the time for TTs. Doesn't matter. It's like coefficient of frontal drag and power are the two things we're looking at. But they've almost a lot of them anyway have no. Grip on what's arrow and what's not arrow. Is there any kind of like pointer you could give them? Easy way to get arrow?
1: An easy way to get arrow? Basically, yeah, watts per kilo don't matter a fuck for time trialing. Like literally, like I'm, I'm an 80 kilo rider. I don't do six watts per kilo ever. Like a time trialing pace for me is probably over an hour 5.2, 5.3, anything short, you're talking five and a half. Well, um, like obviously, as you're if you're a smaller dude like a climber, you then you, you can actually do six watts per kilo. But for me, that's four hundred and eighty watts. That's six watts per kilo. Four hundred and eighty watts. Like it's it, it's the two don't go. That's like a, the two don't go hand in hand with time trial. Mean, unless you're doing a, a hill climb, then it does matter. But um, the biggest thing is just your head. You can go as high as you want, go, but then just drop your head. That's probably the easiest way. Your head's the most un aerodynamic part of your body frontal area your head your head takes up most frontal area of your position so if you go if you went higher by five centimeters but you're able to drop your head by seven then you're going faster because your head's in a lower position
0: yeah i always think lads just you need to take photos and just get a mate to film you and just look her back and go david miller i done a time trial thing with him and he had a quote it was so easy It was just like if it looks fast it is fast and I think a lot of time that's right. If it looks fast,
1: yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, not, it comes down to comfort as well. Like you can't you can go, a bit, you can go extreme and get really aero. Like I made that mistake. I did. I actually tried to change my position over the winter, and uh, it didn't work. We went to I, I got more aerodynamic, but then I couldn't do the power anymore. Like the hip angle just got closed off a bit too much, and then it was just a mistake. So I went back. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I just got a bit. Uh, greedy and tried to chase 10 watts, uh, which I found, but then I realized I was losing 20 in terms of the power because I couldn't do it, so I was going 10 watts slower. So n- not necessarily if you look fast, it doesn't mean you are going faster. It comes down to like anything over 20 minutes, like you plug 10, that's when comfort kind of starts to become a factor. Um, like 4K Pursuits, for example, you can go extreme there because it's only four minutes, um, and you can train yourself to be uncomfortable for four minutes. But over like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you need to kind of vary and like, take into account being comfortable on the bike and being able to actually produce power. So, yeah, there's a trade off. You've got to find the balance between aero and power. And that's, that, that's the magic. The magic uh, number.
0: Ryan, talk to me about the Giro Italia, your Grand Tour debut. What's that like?
1: Uh, it was good. I mean, like. like it's a bit like being here. If you're over 75 kills, it's basically just a 21 day Ordax. <laughs> like, you, you, you start the race. You think, where's the safe place that you can get spat here? Because that's what you have to work out. If you get spat too early, you're not you're not making it to the finish. So you have to like, kind of survive one or two climbs within a few minutes of the peloton and then chase back in the cars or like, just take maximum risk and almost end your life down a descent to catch back up and then. Um, yeah, you just kind of have to be a bit intelligent, but I really enjoyed it. And it changed my body as a bigger guy. Like it slimmed me down by about two or three kilos. Like my natural weight before I did the Giro was like 84 and a half, maybe even 85. And I'd race at about 82, 83. But since the Giro, it just changed my, my race weight became 80. Um, but it was good. It definitely, I got, it's kind of it's kind of frustrating because at this stage now, I should have had three Grand Tours in my legs as opposed to one. Last year, I got injured. I had tendonitis in my knee, so I had to miss the welter. And then this year, I was going to the Giro again. Um, but then the the calendar changed because of the coronavirus. So now the the Giro and the Welter both clash with the classics, which I'm, I'm needed for. So I, I'm the only other Grand Tour I could have done was the Tour of France and... I wasn't up for selection for that, so it's kind of a bit frustrating. But it is, it is nice to actually had a grand tour on the legs and know that actually I'm actually I'm capable of completing one.
0: Because like head screwed on and on form, you know, there's a scenario where you could take the jersey and hold it for maybe the guts of the first week of the tour. Like, there's not many lads in that position.
1: Yeah, it would, been, it would take. Um, like a big commitment and it would take like a lot of work. I mean, the best athletes in the world go to the Tour de France and they all just so happen to nail their peak right for those three weeks in July. So it's, it's easier said than done. Um, but it just like to win a world tour time trial these days, you just, is no longer the strongest man who wins. And that's what I've had to kind of have to make peace with. They like can do the most Watts, but then if you ride it not very intelligently, uh for just like even a snippet like just 10 seconds you go too hard somewhere or you get one corner wrong that's your shot of glory gone um so it's just the, it, you just have to have one of those days now where it's you just nail everything right and then you, if you go as well you, you win by five seconds the, big um, mar- the big margins are gone now
0: like how much prep is going into a, a say a prologue like that for you are you running through google maps every corner Are you going pre-riding the course? Do you have pace and strategy set out?
1: I mean, I don't... I've never had pace and strategies. And it's something I'd like to look into, but I just... I I always go go out hard and try and hang on. And if I do hang on, that's the day I win. If I don't hang on, then, oh, well, it didn't work. So I don't... I'd rather... I wouldn't like to leave it up to a computer to tell me what I can and can't do. Because on the day that I can do more and the computer's telling me I can't, then that's the day that my head will fall off because I'd probably, I'd probably feel finished feeling as though I could have squeezed 2% harder and then I only lost by five seconds. So that would that'd be my head in. Um, yeah. So I just kind of go off deal and kind of base it off the, the time that I can do, what I can do for 20 minutes, what I can do for an hour. And then I take an educated guess. And I just know from trial and error over the years like what some of my size with my aerodynamics needs to do on the flat to be competitive and what they need to do on like a 5% drag to be competitive.
0: I was going to say, you haven't played around with like best bike split?
1: No, I haven't done any of that, no. It is something something I'd like to look into, but I think, uh, like, I mean, yeah, maybe one day. I don't
0: know. Like, it is insanely accurate. Like, we've been, because they're taking thousands of data points and they're plotting it against, you know, the gradient. They're plotting it against wind directions on the day. And so they obviously have all your power files for, you know, the last few months. And you can even tag power files that are important ones. But like we've had clients, and you're able to predict their twenty five mile TT time given the wind conditions and everything to within six or seven seconds. Like it's fucking insanely accurate.
1: Really, Jesus. Yeah, it's it's, it's maybe, worth, maybe I will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's worth playing around with. Yeah. All
1: right. I will gamble that this evening then.
0: Have a yeah, definitely have a look at it if uh, if you want to, you know, if there's anything on it, you want to bounce off me, uh, ping me a message and we can chat on it. Uh, let's talk about the worlds in Doha. Uh, that was a big, big, I suppose, like as Irish lads, we all knew who you were. You were known in the cycling circles, but you really burst onto the mainstream international, I suppose, when you were sitting in that leader seat for a while in Doha and what you ended up fifth, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, fifth, yeah. What's that like? That I'm still clinging on to that result. And I'll probably cling on to it for the rest of my life, actually. Do,
0: do, do, do. I don't do the intermission in the Roadman Bites podcast, so I kind of missed my little do do do, do sound effect very professional i know this is our intermission in our long form roadman podcast this is the time where we all take a little collective exhalation but it's also the time where we stop procrastinating and we head on over to patreon.com forward slash anthony underscore walsh and we buy the good host of this show a coffee or a beer and we say you know what chap you're a good man and i'd like to buy you a coffee or a beer so head on over there now and get the deed done
1: let's jump back in and chat with ryan um, no, that was really good. Like, I didn't. I didn't go into that world with any expectation. Like if someone said to me beforehand, "You're going to come top 20 today," I'd have been like, "Sad. I'm happy with that." But being like my first elite world. Um, but that, that particular year, I had a lot of like health problems. I kept getting sick because I was a new workload after stepping up as a neo pro into the world. So I just I overcooked it in the winter big time. Um, and I just never really came right. Um, that's when I started to understand like what what fatigue actually felt like. Um, so it took a really long time to get get on top of that fatigue and like correct my iron deficiency that I gave myself. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I didn't really start coming good until probably August time. Like the start started September, I did the Tour of Britain. Like I had like two big stage races in the legs before Dower, I did Enico Tour and uh, the Tour of Britain. So I had, like, basically 14 days of racing, plus the Europeans in the middle of that. I had 15 days of racing within about 20 days. Uh, so I think that definitely, like, gave me a big boost of form. But even still, I didn't expect to go in. I, did, I didn't go into Doha hoping for a top 10 or even, like, a top 15. A top 20 would have been would have satisfied me. But then um, I, I, I just did all the right training, like, spent, like, Ten days after Eneco Tour on the TT bike, just nailing threshold intervals, doing work in the in the sauna, where doing TT intervals in twenty-five degrees, wearing a Gabba jacket uh, and <laughs> knee warmers. It's like I that, that went to that extreme. Like I didn't mind because I was just going in. Like this, is the, fir- the first time I actually prepared for like an elite TT ever really. Um, so I was just going in like big green behind the ears, and I, I didn't know what to expect. I just so happened to run on a dual carriageway and i love that <laughs> i just like a tt where you, there's no you don't stop pedaling you're just on the pedals you, like, there's no rhythm changes and some people hate that some people love it i just happen to be one of the guys that love it you just get into a routine and a rhythm bury the head and then yeah that was it and then <laughs> somehow came fifth
0: and there's, there's a big the quote I love, and it's like, success leaves clues, that we can look back on stuff like that and we can go, okay, well, you've done 10 days before in the TT position, you two-stage races in a two-week period. Do you, do you look at the data from that and you go, okay, I'm going into this at a minus 40 training stress balance? Is that something you geek out on, or do you leave that to the coach to worry about? Um,
1: like, uh, I, I do look into it, but I don't let it define how well I'm going. Um, as a general rule of thumb, like on training peaks, if my fitness is one twenty, and then my form is plus twenty around uh, in the teens. Like I'm flying basically, and that's kind of what I was. That's kind of what I am at the moment, um, in and around that. Anyway, uh, and I, yeah, it, it's. It, it, I don't like. Like I said, I don't like computers telling me if I'm going well or not, it's, it's all about feeling and it doesn't take into account like any emotional or mental stress that you have to take on board. And um, like if you're racing, but then like training peak says you're flying and you've nailed your train and your peaks just bang on right this one day, but then a family member dies the night before you're obviously yeah. going to be fine, so you're not going to perform. So I don't like, for that reason, I don't like, I don't let that dictate if I'm going well or not. It's more of a combination of getting confidence from, like doing good numbers in training or having a good race or doing a, I don't know, a good TT somewhere. Or, like, at, the, like, at the moment, I've been doing TTs on Zwift. And it's just like, it's just getting conf- getting the, the, like doing a confirmation ride, seeing the watts go up and the body weight coming down, that everything's going well.
0: Are you seeing on Zwift, uh, i seen was it Alex supposed posted saying there's a lot of guys in Swift racing have missed their world tour calling. Seems like every cat four can do six watts per kilo on Zwift.
1: Ah, oh, bollocks, it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, I, tell, I was doing a Zwift.
1: Uh,
0: i done a Zwift TTT with a, a local group uh, a few months ago, and I was fucking hanging on for dear life. Like, I'm 370, 380 in the wheel, like, getting twisted meet the same guys like a month later for a group ride yeah. they, can't, they can't do a turn like
1: yeah there's a lot of lying going on the old weights and stuff uh, yeah like we I've been doing these Tour de France things and like we kind of christened it like weight doping uh, <laughs> so we actually like for these virtual Tour de France races you have to send a picture of you on the scales to your DS and then they submit that to Zwift so like luckily there wasn't any of that going on well at least I hope not there wasn't any of that going on in the virtual Tour de France races I was doing.
0: Yeah, I was chatting to Nicholas Roach last week, and I was trying to get to the bottom of it because he's very competitive. I was like, have you got your weight in at like 40 kilograms in them Zwift races, or what's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it just kind of suits the climbing time trialling type because it's just sustained power. Like in the wheels, you are doing, you literally, for me, like in the, in the bunch and Zwift, um, you're still sat on three three eighty 390, <laughs> like, that's just, like, I, like last week, on the, on the Sunday, last Sunday, I did 4.10 for an hour. And that was on the Oof. trainer in 30 degree heat on my balcony. And, and that was with like the last, after I got dropped on the last climb, because I did that stupid attack before I realized the Zwift algorithm doesn't take into account solo breakaways. Um, so I was doing like four sixty, four seventy 7, like 7 or 8 minutes off the front. And I got caught. And that's like six. That's six. That was like six watts per kilo for me. And I was watching the uh, the watts the kilo everybody else on the side, and they didn't even get within one watt per kilo of me. But somehow I still got brought back. So then I was just like, they cracked. It was just a <laughs> massive waste of energy. I never really looked at that. I was like pinned at one ninety heart rate, thinking, how are they catching me? Like,
0: uh, yeah, Ryan, talk to me about this because you never like. When we're watching TV or, you know, even if you're in Girona and you see lads out trying, you never know who the sound lads are in the World Tour bunch. You, like, in any group, you know, even the bunch in Ireland, you know, there's a group of sound lads that you always have good crack with in the race. And then there's a group of lads who are just pricks. And you're like, oh, I'm just staying away from them. Yeah. Give us the inside scoop here. Who's the sound lads and who's the pricks in the World Tour bunch? I
1: mean, anyone from the Southern Hemisphere is sound in my books. I get Aussies, Kiwis, they're all good. They're all good laughs. Um, they just have the banter. They like a beer. And anyone who's less than 60 kilos is no friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a nice way to break it down. I've seen you and Taylor Finney were good mates, I seen.
1: Yeah, he's actually up here as well at the moment with uh, his girlfriend, Kasia. they're staying about 10 the further up the hill than I am. Yeah, we, we got on really well. Um, and when he came, when he came to Cannondale, I was actually really nervous about meeting him because i idolized him for a good few years after being, after like under sixteen to like junior, under twenty-three, senior, just like oh one day I want to be like Taylor Finney. Next thing <laughs> you know, like I'm rooming with him in stage races. <laughs> they just put the two heavy units next to each other, and uh, we just got on so well. I mean, he taught me a lot about being eighty kilo plus in the World Tour and how. Like what you have to do and like he just taught me a lot and like just said, don't go chasing being light because that's not where our strength lies. If like you have to work to your strengths and my strength was just power. Uh, like it was for him, there's no point trying to like lose five kilos and then lose your power. It makes you pretty much redundant. But, yeah, yeah, you can hang on to like five more K or a ten K climb, but what else can you do? You're still average. You may as well have that one unique selling point which is gonna guarantee you race wins or contracts down the line and Trying to worry about fitting in with the rest of the skeleton men children.
0: Well, that's it. Like, I'm not sure how well you know Mitch Docker, but I chatted to him on the podcast a few weeks ago. And Mitch was talking about how he just had to really look at what the team needed and he's had to reinvent himself a bunch of times because, just like you were saying there, he's like, there's no point in me being, you know, average in everything. I need to just completely niche down and go, this is what I bring to the team. I'm going fucking full gas in delivering on this one thing if they need me on the day to do this one thing like i'm brilliant at it but i'm shit at everything else but then that changed through his career and he went from like lead out man to the dude who would sort of get over the medium mountains to you know full-on domestic roles but it's changed for him do you envisage that being something that changes through your career
1: um like i can when i went to trek i went there as a tt rider and then pretty quickly i i ne- i nested in with the classics team, and then I was required to like, do a lot of positioning in the classics, and the big classics. And that kind of took a lot of firepower. Again, basically, I did become kind of like somewhat of a lead-up guy uh, the first year I was in track, um, But that wasn't through a conscious decision. That was just like from the work I was having to do in, in 70 race days, uh, that just kind of somehow changed the kind of rider I was. Like doing those like one one or two minute turns at six seven eight hundred watts, and like kind of half sprinting into corners and then kicking out of them like that just kind of ch- I kind of took the edge off the TT and that wasn't a conscious decision that just happened. But then, um, so I, in 2018, the of, like in twenty eighteen and a bit like of last year, my role kind of stepped away from being like a full on time trials because then I wasn't going to be any good at doing lead outs. And we I helped the team to some like big results in the classics and then like in certain races with Jasper being his lead-out guy. And, um but yeah, like it just kind of it was never a conscious decision to change the kind of rider I was, but it has been a conscious decision this year to go back to the rider I used to be. Because even over the winter this year, yeah, I tried to turn myself into more of a classics rider and I just turned I just got this sprint on me. And then I just my engine for TT just got deleted like off the face of the earth. Like, my 20-minute power dropped off by, like, 20%. And then, but my sprint for, like, 10 seconds was, like, in the 1,500 watts average, or maybe even, like, high, like, 1,600s even. Just, I got a really good sprint, but then I just lost all engine. So, I've just, over, the, over the course of lockdown, up until now, I've just been getting the big engine back, and it's, so far it's gone really well.
0: So, what's a typical week look like during lockdown training-wise for you?
1: During lockdown, uh, in terms of hours, I was doing about 13, 14, 15, Big week could be sixteen, and I was doing like double. I was doing double days, just an hour in the morning before breakfast to burn off fat that I was accumulating somehow, and then in the afternoon I was doing like two hours of some kind of effort just to kind of keep keep me sane because I, I can't just ride on the turbo. I just have to hurt and make it feel like it. What I'm doing is worthwhile. So it became anything from like doing like engine builder workouts like three times 20 minutes at 380 uh T workouts like three times 10 minutes or four times 10 minutes at like four twenty, four thirty, uh and then just like strength intervals like like 20 minute blocks of 50 rpm at like 350 watts or something like that so that's kind of what i was doing the entirety of lockdown
0: the numbers just sound cool don't they when you're 80 kilos like if you're a 60 kilo rider yeah. telling the numbers just sounds shit yeah.
1: Yeah, like when I saw. Like, for example, when uh, Mike Woods won that um the Mont 2 stage of the virtual tour, he won with like he had six what six point seven watts per kilo average for the climb, and that was like I think it, that was four hundred watts for him. And I was like, Jesus, <laughs> like that's still my zone three. That's high zone three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's fucking nuts. Rusty's a good man. We had him on the podcast a while ago as well. He's a funny fucker. Yeah,
1: he's a great guy. I did a I did a big ride from there back in just after lockdown at the end of May, start of June time, it's like six and a half, seven hours. He's a good dude.
0: I raced against him for a year in Canada. And I was telling him the story. I don't even think he knew it at the time. I drove like from Toronto out to Quebec to do a race. It was like a a 7am start. So I got about two hours sleep before the race. And it started like right at the bottom of a fucking wall of a climb. And he whacked it off the start line. I was literally back in the car driving home like 45 minutes later.
1: yeah just uh, yeah it's, it's funny like how how different riders can do different things it's crazy like just physiologically it's impressive what each kind of rider can do and can't do
0: uh, how much do you look into nutrition right
1: um not how- a great deal to be honest i just know I just know over the years like what I can and can't eat and what like, I can and can't get pissed.
0: <laughs> Willie Smith so seems to be big into it. Like We were chatting and we were going deep on ketones, fasted rides, depletion rides, all this type of stuff. Uh, have you got into any of that sort of the dark science of it?
1: I've done fasted rides and I haven't done them for four. I did them as a neopro because I was big and chunky and the team wanted to slim me down. But hormonally, that's terrible for you and like I say like being a bigger guy you thrive on having lots. go and do fasted rides all you're doing is depleting yourself when you can't do watts anymore so like I'm a big believer like fasted rides are a load of fucking bollocks to be honest we work with some guys some guys might like him but fuck that I like food too much
0: and <laughs> um, what about a supplement regime do you take any supplements
1: I just I just take iron because I I'm, I'm I naturally have quite a low iron I have to, like, take a supplement just to stay on top of it. But that's it. That's it, really. Um, bit of caffeine before TT work. Uh, I do load with nitrates before TTs, big TTs. Like, not every TT, but big TTs. Um, that's, like, the beetroot juice. Because, like, it doesn't work with everybody, but it's just one of those things that, for me, it, it does work. Um, like, nitrate load and beetroot juice for, like, a week or something before, a week out from a TT. And I find that helps. But then... Try a bike off uh, I do do bicarb occasionally. Um, it just depends if I can, I can remember. Uh, like I'm terrible at remembering to take things like bicarb. And then, like I've been told to take beta-alanine because it's good for TTs, but then you've got to take eight tablets a day for like eight weeks. Jeez, I just about, I just about remember to brush my teeth at night time. Never mind, take eight pills a day.
0: Um, what about painkillers, tramadol? I know Nico was talking about taking tramadol and TTs.
1: No, nah, for TTs, I don't take anything because I like to, it's weird. I like to feel. Here um, on the track, I wouldn't take bicarb because I just go too hard and then blow myself to bits. So I, from a TT point of view, I actually don't take anything to numb anything. I'll do the nitrates. Um, I'll do bicarb if I remember. Um, but I, I just like to feel because all my tra- I, don't, I don't take the stuff from training. So I, I'm gauging how I'm feeling in a TT after what I've done in training kind of thing. Yeah. So, if I like, for example, the nationals is it's generally an out and back dual carriageway drag strip, like I'll average 440, 430 or whatever. But then if I go and take, um, I don't know, something to numb the pain, I'll probably try and push harder. But then physiologically, I can't go any harder. I'll just blow down the line. So, for that reason, I don't take anything. I just like to feel and be in even though it's fucking uncomfortable. Like I just still like, I still know what it feels like and I'm just used to what that feels like. So what in do you th- that sense, um, I'm kind of a bit of a control through.
0: What do you think about the painkiller culture in
1: cycling? I think it's good that it stopped. Um, like it's, it wasn't necessary. I don't think, I mean, giving guys the same medication that you got when you were just fresh out of the femur operation. I don't, th- I didn't think that was very wise. Um, like obviously, it was pretty rife and it's like a few years back now. I, I, luckily, I kind of missed the major part of it. Um, but I've always been on teams that are pretty on the ball and don't do it. Um, so I can't comment too much on that. Because it's um, funny,
0: isn't it? Because it's, it's that it's that line, like it's not banned. And that's why, you know, Rochi and stuff's happy to talk about it. And he, I think he's done an article with Kimmich where he talked about it but it's like the difference between legal and moral I think is where it starts getting a bit cloudy
1: yeah I, I, that's the thing I, I missed like the, the morally wrong standards of cycling and I'm quite grateful I did um, obviously the, I, I'm pretty sure there's still people cheating and flicking the system uh, but I, the cycling these days is a, lot, like a much cleaner sport than I think it used to be I wasn't in that era um, so I can't comment on what it used to be like I don't know what people were doing I don't know how they did things. I don't know how they got away with it. So I I actually, I'm completely, I'm just as much in the dark as you are. I just hear the word cortisone being thrown around all the time even still, um, but I don't, I don't fucking know what that means.
0: It's actually, it's fucking nuts, but when you listen to the lads, like I just, Tyler Hamilton on the podcast, and like that was, like I heard an interview with you where I was uh, doing the research for this podcast, and you were talking about the Tour of Britain, saying like you hoped you didn't knock one of the, the riders off, because you're like used to seeing them on the telly, and now you're riding beside them. Kind of had that moment chatting to Tyler Hamilton on the podcast, I was like, Holy shit, I'm chatting to Tyler Hamilton. like I used to have a picture of my bedroom with Tyler Hamilton. This is
1: weird. you got a picture of your bedroom of me.
0: I do. It's a different type of picture, Ryan. <laughs> it's like a... Yeah. <laughs> it's a It's a Gabe Horn tribute.
1: You <laughs> the <laughs> <D-Landa> style.
0: <laughs> uh, right, let's jump off the training for a little bit. Uh, you're normally based out of your own, are you?
1: Sorry, say that again. I cut off a little bit there.
0: Uh, you're normally based out of Girona for training? Uh,
1: during the winter months, yeah. But I became a resident of Andorra um, last August. So this year, I've got to spend a bit of time here. And I, kinda, I was ready to take that step where I wanted to try and just like, look under a few more stones in terms of altitude kind of thing. Because up until June, I'd never done an altitude block. I tried to do one last year in front with the with the national team. But I was only there for a week before I got called down to do the Tour of Norway, so that, that got cut short. So I've actually never had a stint long enough at altitude to see if it works for me. Um, so that was kind of the attraction with me coming here to Andorra. Um, I just felt like being like time-traveling and climbing, they're very similar kind of efforts. So it works for climbers. It should work for a time-travel. And that was the logic behind me wanting to like, take the leap and come up here. Um, but yeah, in the winter, like right now, I'm looking out and I can see a ski lift. That's how high up it is here, and I don't plan on being here when there's snow, so Verona will be at home during the winter months, and then when I can up here, um, I'll be up here trying to become a climber.
0: Uh, do you have a training group up there, or are you heading out on your own?
1: Uh, there's a few guys around, yeah. A lot of guys right now are on different camps. Like, there's up on the same valley that I am now, there's the Israel Startup Nation team, um, then higher up there's Bahrain and there's Movistar. So there's a lot of, like, the guys who I normally would ride with are stuck with team commitment at the moment and then there's a the guys to and from like Lavinio um, and other places like a lot of my teammates now are actually in Isola 2000 and I think San Pellegrino in Italy. They're in a Grand Tour training camp so some of the guys that I would normally ride with are actually away so the last couple Excuse me, the last couple of days I've actually been training solo, which actually I don't mind here because I, that means I get to climb at my pace, which is a lot more comfortable than their pace.
0: If you head out on your own, do you listen to music? Obviously, you listen to the Roadman podcast, but apart from that, do you listen to music or what do you listen to?
1: <laughs> I can't even sleep without listening to the Roadman podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually don't train with music ever. The only time I, I, I listen to music is on the, is on the Turbo Trainer. Um, and that was just kind of drilled into me by my dad when I was younger his uh, One of his best friends was killed listening to music on the road because he couldn't hear the traffic. So I don't do that. I don't listen to music when I'm riding. Um, I just have enough to focus on.
0: Do you stop for coffee?
1: Um, not as much as I used to, do, just to try and like get that actual stint of endurance. There's day, There's time and time a place I stop for coffee. It's like on rest days or... If I'm doing a big day, like six hours, I'll stop after I've done the work after like four hours and then I'll just ride home two hours kind of thing. Um, but if I do have a coffee, I like, to, I like to kind of earn it. I won't just stop really nilly because I see an espresso logo. Um, I go. Uh, Sometimes I don't want to stop, especially up here, I've noticed. I haven't stopped much up here. I think I've stopped once for coffee. Because um, like, well, I'm, I don't know, just up here, for whatever reason, when I stop and have a coffee, I just can't get going again. I'm absolutely fucked for the rest of the ride.
0: It's always a bit sad when you have to stop for a coffee on your own as well. It's just not the same crackers and the lads are with you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. In Girona, I stop, I stop a fair bit, but up here, I just try, I'm, I'm up here to work. I'm up here to get the benefits of the training and the altitude. I may as well do things properly. Come home, stretch, foam roll, go to bed, drink water.
0: <laughs> Here's the fucking big question everyone has been tuning in to listen to. What is the best coffee shop in Girona?
1: Ooh, uh, there's a few good ones now. La Fabrica used to have the, uh, the monopoly, but now there's a few that have popped up. And, uh, and now Fab- there's obviously. Fabrica's ball's
0: expensive, though.
1: That's the price now. They set the standard. Like, that's the same price. If you want to get good coffee in Girona, you have to pay 250 And people argue with me like the, the minge bags where if you stuck a piece of copper I'll get it done in a week, they're so different. Um, but good coffee is coffee. I mean, that two fifty is not expensive for a coffee, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's Dublin prices though, or it's Paris prices. I remember going out to Girona, I've been going out there, I signed for a French team in 2000, fuck, I'm showing my age here, in 2012, I uh, signed for a DN team out in France, and we had a training camp down near Girona, and I fell in love with Girona then, I've been going back kind on of a two, three times a year since, and I think Fabrico was probably the only spot around for coffee that was decent uh, when it opened, but, I think, the, is this, what's the one on the main street now on the Rambla, Greens?
1: Coffee Greens, yeah. yeah, That's a pretty good coffee there as well, yeah. I
0: like that. I like yeah, there's that. a few,
1: there's like there's, there's coffee greens, there's a new place called Blend. Um, and personally, I think Blend is the best coffee in Girona.
0: Right, we're going to get out for a coffee ride. I'm just going to come along so you don't have to fucking, so you have someone to talk to at the coffee stop so you don't look awkward but you're not going to you're not going to <laughs> turn out me for today uh right before before we finish up uh i remember back in the day mike barry was riding for sky i've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times mike was coaching me and it was i don't know it was one of those moments where the ball just dropped for me and go oh shit there's a bit of a processor and there's a bit of a system like before that i was just doing random shit and then mike taught me like no there's a system to, to start training you need to do on certain days but i remember sitting down in his gaff in toronto and one of the questions he asked me was he's like if we sat down like three years from now five years from now what has to happen in all that time for you to look back and go you know what that was fucking kick-ass everything that could have happened that was amazing to me happened what's that look like for you in a sort of three to five year
1: time scale that's a good that's a good question um I've got unfinished business, like with the European Championships and the World Championships. Um, like, the, obviously, the absolute dream would be to get the triple, like nationals, Europeans, and worlds. And if I could do that, I'd retire that year. But did that this year? I re- don't see it. <laughs> like, that I. Like, it's I like, it, like, I grew up with time trial, so. No matter how much I try and turn myself into a classics rider, I'm always going to want to win TTs. That's and um, that's just my ambition. Uh, I've had two top, like two top fives. I think was it was a fifth in Glasgow, fifth or sixth. Can't remember. Like two top fives in the Europeans, um, uh, The fifth in Worlds. Uh, I I just think on on the right day on the right course, I can I can actually win. Um, so it's just a case of it coming together. But yeah. That's, that would be the ambition just like knock off the Europeans worlds is a different story obviously is much higher you don't get an easy world um, but yeah that would be that would be going on. And obviously I mean if you want to throw in Paris in there, then yeah go ahead why not
0: I'm glad to hear it. it's ambitious because I, often I chat to obviously a lot of world tour guys in the podcast and Often if you look back when I'm doing the research for the podcast, I listened to them five years ago, ten years ago, and they have this swagger about them. They're like fucking Connor McGregor ten years ago and the world is at their feet. And the world tour jades them. It just takes that edge off them. It takes the confidence off them. And they're kinda like shoulder slumped going, Oh yeah, like I'll fucking hopefully get another contract. And so it's good cool to hear you like bit of fight in the
1: belly still. Yeah, I mean well, I mean if you go in like a lot cocky little shit and then you realise how hard the world tour is then, yeah, you're going you're gonna to leave the sport with your tail between your legs. But <laughs> I get the, I get the, like, the shit you get out of me every race I go to. So it's just a case of, like, picking your days and, like, yeah, you can't go into every race thinking, no, yeah, today's my day. You can't be, like, a Sagan or an Alaphilippe or a Valverde where you just fucking rock up to a race. Oh, All yeah, right, I'll probably come seventh today. You know, <laughs> yeah. All right, that'll do. Whereas <laughs> 99% of the time, I'm just struggling to get around and it's like the, it's like the time limit um so just like you've got to go through a process i think that's the key to like being having a healthy mind in this sport is like use one race to build use another race to build a little bit more have a little training block recover then you pick your one day race or then you pick your tt or you pick your stage race where that's where you're going to go because you can't just, mentally burn out i go into races knowing i'm going to get the, my head kicked in but i know it's for the greater good like for example Poland. People are going to want to go in flying to prove that they've worked the best over lockdown. I couldn't give a fuck if they worked the hardest because there's still three months until the classics. It's um, the way you've got to look at it. It's all about perspective. and yeah, people, I, If you win any race these days, you're going to get a new contract. So there is that incentive. But I think uh, it's all about the bigger picture, being consistent, better, two months down the line line when you actually want to be going well and you actually do go well it's better for your head than just picking up the seventh place or the fourth place there because you peak too soon and then you're shite when it really mattered.
0: And here last one for you because uh, I know you got to get off. Uh, are you coming home for nationals?
1: Yeah yeah I will be. Yeah. Although I got I just got I just found out the dates for the European TT champs so the TTs in uh, around Kilmartin area I think in, on the 20th of August and the Thursday I think um to mem- Memory. then the European road, uh, TT Championship so the Monday after the following day after the road race and it's in like book fuck nowhere in France so I, it takes like two days to get there so it looks like I might have to miss the road race which is a bit of a shame because I do like doing it
0: yeah it's a good course for you I'm going to go out and recce the TT and the road course next week but they're, they're both pretty much right line mulling courses.
1: Alright, let me know what it's like because I, I, was, I was made in Kilnestand I, <laughs> I left my dad's sack in <laughs> <Use the> language.
0: <laughs> it's a beautiful romantic story that the people of Kelness and i sure, are going <laughs> to have hearts <them. laughs> warm listening to that. Uh, Ryan, if anyone's listening <laughs> and they want to hear more about you leaving your dad's sack, what's the best social platform for them to follow you on?
1: <laughs> Sorry, say it again.
0: If anyone wants to hear more about you leaving your dad's sack, where should they follow you on Instagram, Twitter?
1: yeah both handles are the same
0: just at ryan mullen and i ryan it's been a pleasure
1: yeah thanks for having me mate good chat
0: good chat well 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 folks i really enjoyed that chat with ryan mullen it was just like chatting to one of my mates down the pub or one of my mates out on a coffee spin and yeah he's a humble down to earth lad but don't let us humble down to earth nature fool you. the man is an absolute hitter and like we discussed there who knows where Ryan will go will he take Tour de France jerseys and hold them for the first week yellow jersey and hold them for the first week I could potentially see that on the horizon for Ryan but who knows a uh, lot of water under the bridge in a couple of seasons especially in a sport like ours, folks I really hope you've enjoyed the roadman podcast a couple asks on my end for you if you're enjoying the podcast please do me a favour help me spread the good word Get the link, paste it into your club WhatsApp group, put it on your club Facebook group. Tell lads out on training and Spins and screen capture it on Instagram and tag me in it and share it. That's one way I know that's this kind of viral nature of spreading. It's very much appreciated. Secondly, keep saying it like a broken record. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. And I don't normally say this on a Wednesday, but I'm going to say it this Wednesday. I'm going to chat to you tomorrow.